Hey everybody, welcome to the first episode of Whiskey, Web, and Whatnot. This is a new podcast uh, by the folks at ShipShape, myself, Robbie Wagner, and Charles W. Carpenter III. <laughs> <laughs> As my yeah. friends call me. Yeah, so we're just, it's going to be a uh, pretty informal format and uh, we're going to do a little bit of talking about whiskey and, you know, pick a whiskey each time talk a little bit about some kind of web topic and then talk about just random whatnot after that. And we're definitely looking for suggestions about any of those topics. So if you have any whiskeys you'd like us to try or web topics you're interested in or whatnot you want us to talk about, let us know. So today we're looking at uh, starting with one of my favorite whiskeys, which is uh, from Sagamore Spirits. It's a rye and it is uh, 83 proof and it's won a bunch of awards according to their like little tag they put on here. It's a 95 points by the tasting panel magazine and won like 50 times awards. I don't know, something like that. But um, this is a distillery in Baltimore and uh, they actually make all their stuff in Indiana, it says. Um, so yeah, I'm not really sure when they'll make it in Baltimore, but, um, I think there's a lot of people that make stuff at some big place in Indiana, right, Chuck? There you go. Yeah. Um, so in the whiskey world, there is an influx of these micro distilleries that are often kicking off their production business by sourcing from other more established uh, distilleries. And in Indiana, there is one that has uh, kind of been famous for providing those initial batches to all kinds of places. It's an MGP is the company. And that's kind of what they do is they distill and sell out lots of bulk mash bills from places all over. Um, sometimes they just come in and that this is like a barrel pick or um, with distilleries that are just kicking off and don't have all of their uh, equipment, they can take the mash bill from that distillery and and make it for them essentially and then ship them a finished product for additional aging and packaging and whatever else they want to do. So, so yeah, Sagamore, which is funny because I am familiar with that a bit. Uh, so Sagamore is another one in, in that lump, and I was a little hesitant to try this one and uh, originally uh, just for those reasons, and I am biased since I'm from Kentucky originally, that like all things outside of Kentucky are no good. But I've I've matured over time, and and su- uh, supporting my partner here, Robbie, uh, and and gave it a shot. Actually, uh, mm-hmm. it is qu- quite good. I was pleasantly pleased. It's a uh, it's a very flavorful rye. Um, in all in our inaugural edition of WWW, of course, I have already uh, ruined the logistics, though, because as <laughs> I picked up my bottle of Sagamore, I was excited to see a barrel select pick there and uh, went for that. Uh, on the plus side is it is one that we have both had uh, some barrel picks from a place here at a Phoenix that's uh, a six year and this exact barrel we both have shared. So it's What's the barrel um, number. It's barrel number 15 and that matters mm. because that was the better barrel yeah. from what I understand. It was 45 that was less good, right? Right. Yes. I think so. So, yeah. oh, wait. And that, that applies in so many places, you know, 45 was just not that great, but we've, we've moved on. 
<laughs> what, what else does that apply to? Uh, think about it. We just inaugurated our 46th president. Ah, okay, okay. All, All right. right. But we won't Didn't make this a political that. show. Yeah. yeah. We won't make this a political show, of course. Um, so, yes, in, uh, mine is a six-year age. It is 110 proof, so it's got a little more heat to it. Um and that's really all, all you need to know. We'll give some tasting notes here. We should have a, have a little sip. Think about it. Yeah, yeah. You going fully neat? I am. Yeah, that is my preferred way uh, most times. I Even if I'm going to add water or ice uh, a little bit later, I want to have it like as the distiller intended as my first taste. And then I move into adding some you're no layman to this particular whiskey though so you know how you like it and uh for those who can't see video now because we're not doing video uh yeah i'm i'm having mine neat and robbie typically has his yeah. on the rocks at all times <laughs> yeah yeah that's how i prefer it it just you know cuts the heat a little bit and lets me enjoy the flavors without my mouth burning to death so have you ever tried mixing it up a little bit with like doing whiskey stones and a little water to still open it up that way or without yeah. dilution? Yeah, I, I don't know if I have any whiskey stones still, but I've had them. I don't know where they went. Um but yeah. yeah. Uh ice is just easy too. Like I can just, you know, grab ice out of the, the freezer. So Yeah. Well, I will say this in that um there was a man once when I was on a tour of Buffalo Trace and the tour guide there, he said, uh, you know, the best whiskey is the one you like. And if it's a $20 bottle or a $200 bottle, kind of doesn't matter, right? It's all your personal taste. Yeah, definitely. And, and I've tried to use that to not judge others in the way they like to enjoy. <laughs> all right. So, so for this whiskey, uh, we're going to do a scale of number of tentacles that we think it is. So a, a one tentacle is really bad and then eight tentacles would be the best possible score. Um, and for me, this is probably a, a seven, I would say like, I don't know if I've had anything better than this. This is my favorite whiskey, I would say, but I don't think that it's super phenomenal. I think it's very, very good at what it does. Like it's a good rye. It's very balanced and they succeed at making it approachable for everyone and, and tasty to most people. Um, but it might not be a hundred percent the best, I guess. Yeah. And, and best is subjective highly in that way. So yeah, I, I, even with this barrel select bottle. So for me, I like it cause I do tend to like uh, slightly higher proof. I want to feel it. Um, and this one delivers in that, but I can only kind of go so high. So 110 is, is a, a good safe zone. 120 and above tends to just be too hot and really burn my throat. Uh, this one has, so in terms of rye, too, you know, a rye can be high rye whiskeys can be very spicy, but very mm -hmm. harsh in a lot of ways. And this has smoothness. So I get a little like maraschino in the start for me. I get woodiness. And then it finishes with like a light, like orange rind or kind of like that bitterness a little is left over. I get a little burn and then it, it's, it's good. We're happy. So I also give it a seven actually. Nice. Yeah. I, I think a lot, it's, there's really a wide spectrum of rise. Um, you know, some of them, 
like barrel 45, I think. I don't remember if it was 45 exactly, but we'll say it was. Um, mm-hmm. Was a lot more like a scotch. Like it was smokier and um, more like almost peaty. And it was like just not as good versus, you know, you don't know what you're usually getting when you get a rye. And I think this is a good like a whiskey lover who doesn't love every rye would also love this. I think it's, it's just good all around. Yeah, I agree. Like it, it doesn't, it's, it's a rye with flavor and not harshness and that, you know, appeals. Uh, and I do like ryes, but they can be like all over the place because they don't have the same regulation in their mash bill. So it means that it's, you know, rye first, but it doesn't mean, you know, how much rye is that? Is that a 50% rye, a 70% rye, 20% rye? It can be all over the place. So, right. and they also can be aged, uh, there's no minimal aging. So you can get a rye out there in two years. Um, so hmm. I don't know what the, what was the age statement on your, their standard, but I mean, this barrel select is six years and, you know, basically six to nine years for whiskey in general is good for me. I, I see the benefits of that with lighter whiskeys like Irish and scotches, um, and the Japanese whiskeys in scotch style, but like a rye and a bourbon, like that's really a good zone for me typically. Yeah, this one doesn't say how long it was aged. I'm guessing they probably do a lot of mixing of different stuff, so it's maybe not an exact age all the time. Yeah, it could be like some two, some four, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, perhaps anyone who feels like they could dig into it a little bit, let us know if you know otherwise. Yeah, if you know how long it was aged, hit us up, let us know. Now that we've covered the important part. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess we can uh, move into web now. Um, We have a bunch of different things. You know, we, we do web development as our uh, bread and butter at ShipShape. So we're well-versed in a lot of different topics and have a lot of things we have opinions on. Um, So we're just kind of picking randomly here. Um, I think one of the big issues we've encountered recently is, um, you know, a lot of open source projects kind of used Travis CI by default and especially in the Ember community because Travis was built into the Ember CLI blueprints. Uh, you would get a lot of projects using it and, uh, they just decided that they were going to break everything recently and, you know, not give you all the hours or, yeah, hours, I guess, or minutes or however long they measure their, their build times, you had to start paying for things. And then even if you paid for it, it still didn't work. Um, so there was basically no way to get your builds to run, which is not sustainable for any sort of project that needs builds to run ever. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. And we have a lot of open source projects and we're distributing them out to the community within Ember and, and otherwise. And so essentially they kind of, pooled open source support. I'm not sure if there was any official announcement on that. We just said we just essentially got to got into a situation where, you know, you're stuck and you're trying to push out fixes or features or whatever else and you can't. Um, So now what? Yeah, so there's a lot of different CI tools out there. And I think the obvious choice that people have been kind of gravitating towards is GitHub Actions because it lives right there with your code. You know, the more stuff you can do in GitHub, the better for you know people finding 
the build and seeing the build status and just writing, you know, your CI right alongside of all your code in kind of the same area. Um, however, it is missing a lot of nice features that Travis had. I know one thing that I really miss is uh, having allowed failures, and that's kind of integral to uh, Ember's build pipeline. So part of the default blueprint is like allow beta and canary to fail so that you can see it'll still run the tests in it, but it won't fail your build because you're not using beta or canary. It's just to see what's coming down the pipeline, which is good. So, you know, things are going to break in the future and there's no way to do that in GitHub actions other than allowing all failures. Like your build can just totally fail and you have to say that's fine. (laughs) So there's no way to just like mark one as this is okay. And there's a huge thread about trying to add support for that. And, you know, everyone keeps plus oneing it and commenting on it. And there seems to be no, nobody from GitHub that's kind of responded and has support for it yet. Yeah. And you can't have like allowed workflows to like, cause you split all the workflows up and then certain workflows can fail or I don't know. Yeah. Right. yeah, I think it suffers from the fact that it can do so many things. Like, you know, it, it's not necessarily um, publicized as CICD. That's just one of the things it can do, and it's highly configurable to do all kinds of things. You know, you, you're you using GitHub Actions to, like, change comments on your pull requests, for example, if you want it. Um, all kinds of very, you know, granular and, and large scale things, but that makes it like highly complex to narrow in on specifics. And then the side effect of that also is that it's hard to know if what you're doing is going to work. So, you know, you're, it's a lot of trial and error and build time and, and then you only get so many free minutes. So how are you supposed to learn this tool when it's costing you, you know, like I think what we're more than anything suffering from is there's a there's kind of a gap in in supporting the open source community because as Robbie said there's all kinds of tools that can do this but what we want is what Travis did in that you know bring your open source here and then you know when you have enterprise things you pay for that but open source is welcome to utilize our tools and with you know GitHub being kind of the all being developer experience monolith that it is now like, yes, there's a free tier, but it's, you know, it's limited. Right. And even when you're paying for it, you know, we ran into recently, um, Linux builds a minute is a minute and then windows builds a minute is two minutes or four minutes or something. And then on Mac builds, it's like a minute is 10 minutes. So if you have a Mac build that kind of keeps running, that you weren't, uh, well, first off, it doesn't have a timeout built in. So if it'll just keep running for like six hours is like the default timeout. And, uh, then it'll just, you know, charge you for, I don't know how many is that, uh, you know, 360 minutes times 10. So 3,600 minutes, I guess, for a, a build that you didn't even know was stuck running for six hours. And then, your default pool of minutes is like 3000. So that happens one time and you're out of minutes, which is a huge problem. And there's a big learning curve with knowing that that's a problem. And then, you know, there's a big learning curve in general where you just can't debug anything without like 
adding extra packages to SSH into it? And like, what is that package that we always install for that? Uh, S it's uh, like a, it's a Tmux package and I can't remember the exact mm. name, but it essentially sets up a, uh, a shell session for you, but you gotta like add that and then it pauses there and then you have like a 30 minute shell session. So that was another nice thing. Well, I know that Circle had that where you could, you know, click to shell into a build and it was like one button, you know, push to, to get into that instance. And, uh, you know, like many aspects of, of actions in these workflows is you can add those sort of things, but you got to search around to find it. And it's, um, you know, it's nice that lots of people outside of the GitHub organization can create pre-made actions to utilize, but it's sort of like going through you know, the, the MPM world. And, you know, there might be 10 packages that do what you want or a hundred packages. And you've got to like sort through what aligns with your needs and test that out to decide if you're going to pull off the shelf or now you have to make your own custom action and so on and so forth. And yeah, it can become a very slippery slope. It'd be nice if there was a little bit more support for the open source uh, community there and just like, I want to test and launch my thing. You know, I want to publish a package. Can you just have a default workflow that does that? Like instead of yeah. having to pull those things down. So, yeah, I think they're, they're suffering from, there's a lot more demand than they thought there would be this soon. You know, they kind of, it's been out a while now, a year or two. I don't know when exactly it came out, but, um, they didn't expect everyone to be migrating from Travis. And then, you know, they, they just released a, uh, a Mac OS 11, um, machine the other day, um, like, I don't know, months ago, whenever big Sur came out and, uh, they are now pulling that back to private preview because there's so many people wanting that and so much demand for the new Mac OS. So they're, they're definitely dealing with scaling issues and not really knowing what they're doing yet. But I think hopefully they'll, they'll get that fixed and add some of these nice features that, we're used to from some of these other solutions. Well, and I think so for one, this uh, discussion is about a sort of call out to the community. Like what, uh, what are other people doing? Are they making this work? Are they, have they found another solution? Is there other recommendations? Be curious uh, to know what's working for anyone else. Uh, I mean, it can't really be a binary decision. Um, you you kind of wonder, and we don't ever think this way anymore, but like, you know, in, in a cloud computing world, like perhaps what you need to do now is have, uh, you know, an open source CI solution that you just set up on your own server and just roll things through there that, and that's what will publish your packages as long as it's internet connected and does the one thing really well, perhaps that's where, where things will go. I don't know. Yeah, I, I have no idea. It's outside of my realm of expertise. Mm. Um, well, I fooled you into knowing that I know too much about it, but uh, <laughs> essentially, I mean, I've I've um, configured uh, Jenkins services before, and I've configured uh, Atlassian had a product called Bamboo that would run mm. CI/CD pipelines, and we had on-prem, you know, uh, private versions of it that I did some things on. So, like, there are tools there that that can do that. That is that are your own thing, but obviously, 
there's a management overhead to that possibly over time you yeah. have management to set it up and then you know you it has an automatic update or anything happens and you have to restart your own server and now it's broken and so that's that's why we trust the cloud right it's supposed to be a lot more set it and forget it and you know, not to um, bag on actions because I do think they can do a lot of things. It's a clever tool. It's just, you know, maybe it's a little much. Maybe it's a little overkill. Yeah. Yeah. It could definitely have some more dumbed down basic use cases out there. Right. Like, and who knows what they're working on? Uh, a lot going on, a lot of changes within GitHub. Um, you know, if they are truly the home of open source projects, you know, pushing your code and saying, I have an open source project and you can, you know, ask for things like sponsorships and whatnot. Like what is the great, I want to deliver my product. Where am I pushing it into and being able to push it into registries with just a nice like GUI would be pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what comes out of all of that, I guess. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. Our discussion here being more around um, the ran into this problem. We feel like we don't have a great solution, but, you know, things are kind of working for now, um, but we don't have confidence and we'd love to have something more set it and forget it. And I think like in general, people contributing to the open source community don't want to have to think about that all the time. Right. Like, oh, I'm writing an NPM package, I'm writing an add-on for Ember. You know, we brought up the Ember um, example and that's, I think, very straightforward. I, I want to contribute to that community. I don't want to have to learn about how I get this out to them though. I've, you know, and, and that's the point of like Ember blueprints, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing Ember does really well is makes everything, you know, the the person building the add-ons or the plugins and things you're using has to think about all that ahead of time. So it's just kind of install and you don't have to worry about it. And we could all learn a bit from that and integrate that more into experiences across, you know, not just GitHub actions, but you know, anything we're using all frameworks and, and projects. I agree. So you were telling me the other day that you, uh, bought a bunch of Nintendo games from their sale. What did you yes. get from there? Okay. Well, I'll, let me, I'm going to grab the actual switch because I have a poor memory. Okay. So yes, Nintendo, um, their marketing worked for me recently. They, I have a wish list of items and, uh, apparently a number of those items be, became available in a recent sale. Um, the irony is, is that I have a wish list of a desire to play this switch more frequently and haven't <laughs> really been able to Can you to buy a so. package to get more time? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to work on that. Um, so I picked up a few, uh, different ones here. I think, uh, applying to many age ranges. I picked up the Marvel Lego Marvel superheroes too, because I've always in the past found those like Lego games really fun. I uh, played like Lego star Wars, a bunch of different ones of that. And uh, yeah, same some other different Lego star Wars is really good. We just got a uh, Lego Harry Potter. Oh, I don't know. Around Christmas time. I think when they had another sale sometime this year, they're supposed to come out with uh, a Lego star Wars Skywalker saga. 
It's going to like let you play as all these different Skywalker characters and go through you know all the episodes and whatnot. So that is exciting. I'm into that, but not here yet. At least not that I've seen. Um, so oh, I picked up the Bioshock series. Uh, oh, they yeah. had a big sale on that collection, so I got Bioshock, the first one, the second one, and Infinite. Uh, many moons ago, I played the first Bioshock, so I've not even played this Bioshock remastered. I'm expecting, you know, at least a few levels up on gameplay. Um, I oh, and I bought one, um, predominantly based somewhat on the name and somewhat on this idea behind some weird games. Um, there's a, a series of a few weird games that I have played this past year based on some recommendations from friends. Um, let's see here. I have to look at the names cause again, uh, Oh, inside one is called, and it's like you wake up as this little boy that has been like captured and trapped by these, I don't know, demon beasts or something. And so you need to, and, the, and you're on a ship. And you're ultimately try, trying to escape from hmm. the living quarters of this huge ship. And there's all these different crazy beasts. Sounds like a lot going on there. Yeah, but it's really visually uh, interesting, too. So I went down this uh, this path of, like, finding these visually different games or that were recommended, really. One called Grizz. Uh, okay. And again, yeah, yeah. Uh, just some graphic designers came up with this game and it's just really beautiful. You're sort of just, it's a side scroller going through this story, but the visuals are very interesting. You know, there's not a lot of paths to kind of fail in it. It's just sort of like, how long is it going to take you to get there? Not necessarily that you won't get there, but I found it fun because well, just that it was like nice to look at. Um, yeah. So I had a couple down that another funny one is called cuphead. (laughs) <laughs> and it looks like those old, like, 30s, 40s, like, cartoons, you know, Mickey Mouse and whatever back in the day. And yeah. you are a cuphead and trying to, like, shoot your way through the land to save whatever in distress. Does so, the cup yeah, come into play at all or that's just the character? You are a cup. Yes, you are a cup. I recommend looking it up. The character has a cup head. But do, do you, can you, like, use your head to catch and throw things or is it just kind of a a graphic piece um well you have this straw coming out of your cup and that like shoots off stuff Mm. so i guess you're shooting out the liquid i don't know Hmm. good good question you're really digging into it and then another one based on this like visual enticement that i haven't actually played yet any it's called kentucky route zero so for obvious reasons, I was into that, and it's, like, set in the 70s. There's a little noir kind of look to it, and there's, like, mysterious things happen, happening in this small town in Kentucky. And hmm. Is that, like, a, that like, more of a story adventure type of game? Not, like, like what's the gameplay like for that? Don't know. I haven't played it yet. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so all of these that I... So Bioshock, this one, um, and only briefly... Uh, started up Marvel superheroes, Lego Marvel superheroes. So I don't know, but this is, uh, you know, that got me to purchase because they were half off or more. And I felt like, well, I'll get there eventually. So I want to have these. Um, Hmm, Fair enough. Yeah, I can't, I can't tell you a lot about gameplay (laughs) recently. Ironically in, in, uh, in the pandemic, it feels like I've spent a lot of time in front of the computer and less time in front of the switch. 
Yeah, same. As you know. But mm, yes. Do play games sometimes and uh kinda one of the dumbest ones that I've played recently is uh we, we play games with uh Rob Carey and his wife Kelsey sometimes. Um and Rob finds like stupid games on uh Steam that he thinks would be fun to play and uh, the the most recent one was hand simulator which (laughs) is literally like you the controls are really dumb like you control each finger separately with like f d s a and then Mm. you control like one arm moving up with like some other key and like twisting your hand is another key and like the mouse moves the camera but only if you click the uh, middle mouse button and like the other mouse buttons, like the controls are just, you would never figure them out just intuitively. And then it's just like all about doing dumb tasks with your hands. Like, okay. One of the games is no one can use these controls and everyone has to like load up guns and see, you can like shoot the other people first or something. And it's like, uh, it, you know, people are just throwing bullets on the floor and like, no one knows like how to use any of the controls. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a little bit fun for like, you know, 10 minutes and then you're just kind of tired of the controls being terrible and it's really kind of a joke game but fun for a couple minutes <laughs> yeah I, I i can't say you've you've sold me on that one <laughs> sorry rob i don't think that's gonna happen yeah i, um, I wouldn't recommend i mean games that i actually like i play a lot of destiny but i haven't anymore recently um i guess i should say i used to play a lot of destiny See, I don't even know what that is, but uh, I did get an email recently on a game that was also, here we are, hopefully you don't hear too much clicking of the keyboard, but um, Nintendo marketing works for me, and another item on my wish list has gone on sale, so Ooh. love to hear opinion on uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising. Ooh, that's one supposed- that Rob also yeah. suggests, um, but he like suggests that actually and says that I would like it. Um, Mm. so, so why it's on my wish list and what I had read about, because I predominantly have held onto a switch, not because of, uh, actual opportunity for additional gameplay, but because I bought it in the first place for breath of the wild, like, Oh, this amazing, as we all do. Right. (laughs) And so there's another one coming at some point, you know, lots of rumors leaked here and there. And, um, who knows, but I'm hanging on, you know, and this game is one of a couple that have been recommended for similar type open gameplay. Um, you know, an adventure title, open worlds, you can wander around, there's a path, but there's also other things you can kind of do it at your own pace. Like, um, and I just found that really fun. So I have it on the wish list. Anybody who's interested it's on sale until february 18th and i make nothing from your purchase <laughs> yeah so we make no money on this and have no sponsors so all here <laughs> yeah, exactly. just to talk randomly to you or each other but yeah yeah uh, i think um we should definitely get immortal phoenix rising and play it before next time and see what we think yeah we can, we can report that. back that sounds good yes um, in that same realm of things, and another game that I did play and put some time in, even if it was in like 15-minute bursts or after the kids went go to bed kind of thing, um, was Skyrim. Actually, I was 
years later, uh, after most people played it, uh, and it became available on the Switch, and uh, a friend recommended it so much that he actually bought it for me. He's like, you have to play this. Here it is. Merry Christmas early. And, uh, you know, I checked it out, started playing, became addictive very quickly. And I got it to a point where I became a, my character was a werewolf and a part of all these different guilds and had, uh, I think like three different people following me because I'd finished certain quests just enough to like get a person to follow you, but not go through with it all the way. And so I had a vampire pirate, uh, I had a wife I had, I built a house. I think I owned three houses before it was all done and like was in a thieves guild and, uh, uh, oh, just crazy stuff. All, all these crazy things you could do. Yeah. Skyrim's really great. It actually came out, uh, on my birthday. Um, so my now wife bought me that for my birthday, uh, back then. And I played it for many, many months. Um, and you know, years and years later, you played it, but, <laughs> but exactly. it also years took and years. It also took a really long time to be available on a Nintendo platform because Nintendo is always like at least five years behind on graphics processing power in general. Um, but yeah, and and they're kind of their intent around that is yeah to have more lighthearted content. Like they're the family friendly uh, company, so right. there's that too. Yeah. Um, have you played any of the previous Elder Scrolls, like Morrowind and Oblivion? I haven't. I did read a little bit about the history. That's how much I was into it at the time. I was like, wait, Elder Scrolls 4 or 5, whichever it is. Oh, okay, there's a whole thing here. And as a kid, actually, I was into computer games that were more fantasy-based. I used to read some of those novels in middle school, so I played Dungeons and Dragons, actually. Um, so that whole, like, realm of things is of interest to me. When you say Dungeons and Dragons, do you mean um, like the board game, or like a electronic version? Uh, well, neither, because it was a role-playing game, so you would just have, you know, the person as the dungeon master describing and... That's what I mean. Like, the physical okay, yeah. version, or the... Or the well... Um, What's funny about that is that TSR, the original gaming company who did Dungeons and Dragons, they also had a board game version that was like just like the fast play board game. And it was just called Dungeon and mm. also played. And I think I have that. I remember getting that game again because I loved it as as a kid. Um, so played that as a kid, played some of the actual role playing games, um, you know, read fantasy novels, comic books, all that fun stuff. Yeah, see, I played a lot of, like, Baldur's Gate. Did you play Baldur's Gate? Um, it's, yeah, wasn't that, like, a specific, like, offshoot of Dungeons & Dragons? Something like yeah, that? It was, yeah, it was D&D, but, like, a computer game. And gotcha. then, you know, it had actual fighting and stuff, but it was kind of, like, turn-based and, I don't know. I don't remember a ton about it. It's been a while, but I know Baldur's Gate three is out now in preview. So that's another thing we could check out. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I remember it more than like, it was, it was a theme in like a series of novels and, or, um, uh, different expansion packs you could get for the actual role-playing game. But I don't think I played the video game when I played either when I played like more like Nintendo PlayStation, like games, 
there was like Final Fantasy was huge. Um, Chrono Trigger, I think, was a really big one. And when I first started playing these fantasy games, there was actually this whole series. I had an Atari computer, and these games were all text-based. So there was one called like oh, Zork. <laughs> yes, there was one called Zork that was very I played popular. Zork a little bit. Well, there you go. You know, describes a room. You type in what you want to do. You basically type a billion commands until one of them works. Um, yeah, that's that's sort of how I got into yeah. all of those. I remember uh, playing some games where, like, you know, they would have a little bit of graphics, and it would be like, uh, "Here's this table," and from your pers- perspective, it looks like there's nothing on the table, and you're like, "Look at table," and it's like, "There's these fifty things on the table," and it's like, "Okay, those graphics are really terrible. You can't see any of that." Like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I definitely am glad that the mouse is now a thing, and you can click things and not have to type all that. There's definitely benefits there. But as a kid, I thought it was super neat. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, now you can it's do that. about with what like, you're exposed to. Yeah. Now you can do that with like Alexa and stuff. Be like, hey. Oh, describe the table, Alexa. Wait, how do you see me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's for another show. Yeah. All right. Well... I think we can wrap it up here. Don't want to make it a, a too long of a podcast. Keep it casual for everybody so you don't have to listen to us drone on for hours and hours about whatever. So, Unless you'd like that, please let us know. Yeah, we can send you specific recordings personalized to you that are just us talking all day. <laughs> here's a... <laughs> Here's a, uh, a side project request. Be able to change your Alexa voice to our voice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right. Work well, on that. until next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.